Welcome to episode 135 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during 
pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 135 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. Happy early Halloween, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. When will this podcast be coming out? Halloween will already have passed, yeah. So I hope everyone had a great Halloween. (laughs) I guess I just dated us quite a bit. How are things with you? Well, still haven't closed on the house. It's been quite an interesting experience. I think we can leave it at that. Yeah, we we had to do a bunch of last minute repairs. The new owners who I met yesterday and love, by the way, even though we haven't closed, I met them. Listen to this. We're the second family that's ever owned our house. And the husband of the couple that are buying it, first of all, they're both retired Marine Corps. They're young, so I guess they went into the Marine Corps. I guess you you don't spend a lot of time there. I don't know, but they're very, they're younger than us, but they're both retired Marines or they had been in the Marines. Anyway, the husband grew up with the people we bought it from's son, who I guess they're in their 30s maybe. And so he grew up hanging out in our house and like playing there. And he was a teenager there. And his parents were friends with the the owners that we bought it from. So it's like it's going back to to the people who had been there, kind of, because they're going to all be hanging out there again. The people we bought it from are going to be associated with the house again. This is that kind of house. I mean, it was built in the 40s and... You know, one family owned it, then their daughter lived there and her kids grew up there. And then said, this is a friend of her kids that we're now selling it back to. And so the family is like so excited that it's coming back into their circle again. Anyway, they're, they're great people and it's no fault of their own. They had a VA home loan and that's a sticky process, which we learned something called a VA appraisal doesn't mean they're going to be giving you an appraisal of the value, although that's in there. It's also... They're going to come in and say, here are also a bunch of repairs that you have to do. And if you don't do them, we won't fund the loan. So, you know, like with most house closings, you negotiate what repairs you're going to do and which ones you're not. I didn't know that, but yes. Well, you do. On a VA, that is not how it works. (laughs) You do the repairs 
or else. So we're doing the repairs and it was quite extensive. It involved things like tearing down a greenhouse that is huge and was built probably in the 50s. I mean, it's it's quite a lot of work. So thank goodness we found some great contractors. We're getting it done. We let them have early occupancy into the house. So they've already moved their stuff in just because they had to get their stuff out of military storage. And, you know, we're just all working together to make it happen. They really want to live there. We really want to sell it. We're just waiting on the the VA to sign off. We may close tomorrow. It might not be tomorrow. It just all depends. So I'm working on stress management. I will say that fasting when you're super, super stressed is really easy. So see, look, I tied it into intermittent fasting. Perfect. It's so easy that I couldn't even eat because I was so stressed. And I was like crying in front of the plumber. I mean, it's just been a very, I'm like, I'm sorry that I'm crying. And he's like, that's okay. I need to leave now. (laughs) I mean, he didn't really say that. He was very nice, but that made me laugh. Not in a good way, but (laughs) I'm sorry that you were crying in front of the plumber. Oh my goodness. Uh, I totally know that feeling where you just hit hit that moment and you just break down and then you just want to like cry and let it be okay. It is. And, you know, I'm flying out tomorrow. I'm going to Portland. There's actually going to be a book event for Delay Don't Deny in my community. And Kim Smith, who wrote a book called Unbelievable Freedom that I wrote the foreword to, we're doing a book event there in Portland and tickets have been sold. It's kind of exciting. It's my first event like that. But other than the cruise. But I'm flying out tomorrow out of Augusta at four, but we might be closing in the morning and I haven't even packed yet. When one day this week, I'm not making this up. I went over to the other house 10 times in one day from my house. That's insane. It was crazy. I was telling it to Chad how many times I went over there. And then I went back and I took a picture of the brick and then I went back home and then they called and said, can you go take a picture of this? And I went back and it it was nuts. We live like less than a mile away from, from old house to new house, which is also funny. (laughs) But, oh my gosh, it has been, it has been a roller coaster of, I guess we're going on the second week of all this, but it'll happen. We will close. They, they will live there. They will love it and it will be good. It sort of reminds me of, you know, I was talking about that book, the little book of, I think it's the little book of big change, that book about habit change. Right. And then that analogy about the sky and the weather and how you're the sky and your experience is the weather and you're not affected by the weather, like how your spirit is not affected by your external experiences. Right. Did I talk about that? Yeah, I think so. I think I did. One other part of that analogy she said was that weather always changes. It does. Regardless. And you don't have to do anything. It will change. It will pass. It's true. It will. And, you know, I'm telling myself, this is delay, don't deny in action. (laughs) It will happen. It will happen. We want it to close. They want it to close. You know, they're not going to back out. They've already moved their stuff in. They're definitely not going to back out. So... It might take longer because the VA appraiser is very particular. She's protecting those veterans and making sure they are super safe in their new house. Let me just say that. So, you know, we may have to keep doing some repairs, but eventually she will think the repairs are good enough. So (laughs) if you're listening, VA appraiser, thank you for ensuring the safety of our vets. And I will leave it at that. Perfect. Was that positive? Did I spin it in a positive way? That was very positive. Good. Yes. Well, I've been reading Seamland's Metabolic Autophagy, that book. Jen, it answers very scientifically a lot of the questions that we get all the time that I never had the exact scientific answer to. Well, that's good. Give me some examples of, of what. For example, like how long does it take to reach autophagy. What are the exact circumstances you need for autophagy? What does he say about that? I'm so curious. Well, that's literally the whole book. (laughs) So I thought about summarizing, but I'm still reading it. I literally can't say all of it comprehensively. It has to do with so many factors. A lot of it has to do with the AMPK mTOR relationship. A lot of it has to do with the presence or not of amino acids. Uh Uh-huh. Listeners, when you see a chart that says autophagy begins at XYZ hours, ignore it. That's ridiculous. That is not true. If someone tells you autophagy begins at 24 hours of the fasted state, you must fast for 24 hours to get into the state of autophagy. That is not true. 
Would you say that that is absolutely 100% not true? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, because I'm so tired of seeing there's this one graphic that says that. And everybody's like, well, I heard it starts at 24 hours. And then everybody just keeps repeating that. And they're like, well, I only fast for 18 hours. So I never experience autophagy at all. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Well, one of the things that I just lit up with, because I was like, we get asked this, how can you measure if you're experiencing autophagy? And you can't measure it like specifically, but there is a way that you can sort of figure it out. And it has to do with two things, the insulin glucose ratio and then a glucose ketone ratio. And then he gives instructions on how to measure it. So it's related to when you're getting into ketosis. It's related to energy substrates. Yep. Yeah, because your body is having to scrounge around. And just in a very simple term, tell me if this sounds right. In very simple terms, elementary level, because remember, that's me. When your body is not in the fed state per se, because you're fasting, I'm tying it into fasting because that's our focus. Your body has to scrounge. I know there's more to it than fasting. Basically, when your body is having to scrounge around because you're not eating, Your body is having to scrounge around and dig stuff up and recycle things. And that's when autophagy really gets upregulated because your body has to to survive because it's in cleanup mode and it's like looking for old junky parts. Does that kind of sound right? Yeah. And I I think I had an even an incorrect understanding of it because I thought it was, I mean, I do think it's primarily related to protein, but like amino acids, but I think I had it a slightly wrong view of it in my head because what autophagy does is it breaks down proteins. So I was like assuming, oh, it's lack of protein or lack of amino acids, which is starting autophagy. But it seems like it's more lack of energy substrates in general because I had Dr. Daniel Pompa. He's actually going to be on this week's episode of the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. And he talked about that and he talked about glucose and stuff, stopping autophagy. And that was the first time I was like, oh, because I thought... It was more about protein and amino acids, especially I think another reason I thought that was because of the implications of the fasting mimicking diet and how it encourages, quote, you know, extended autophagy despite including calories. Yeah, I'm always having trouble with that. (laughs) Fasting mimicking. Yeah, the book also talks about like so many questions I've had specifically, like because we know like protein restriction can increase longevity or you know, its relationship to mTOR can affect things. So I've I've always wondered the difference between having a lot of protein at once and a a major mTOR spike versus small amounts throughout the day. And he talks about that in the book. The section I just read was all about, can you build muscle in a fasted state? And like, do you need to refeed right after exercise? Jen, literally it answers everything, everything we've been asked. (laughs) We're useless. I can just refer people to him. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just have to, I'll have to read it then. Things have to settle down a little bit. Then I'll maybe have some time. Yeah, no, not you have to read it, but Jen, (laughs) once things are settled down, he's coming on my new podcast. So that's exciting. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yep. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through
through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body, it is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address, and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list, and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein, so I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. All right. So we jump into everything for today. Yes. First, we have some feedback from Susan and the subject line is freedom after 52 years. She says, hello, Jen and Melanie. You probably won't want to read this on air. Surprise, Susan, we did (laughs) because we loved it. But I wanted to share with you what a difference IF has made in my life. I was always a chubby kid and went on my first diet at 15. Since then, it's been one diet program or diet of the day after another. Besides a decade plus of low carb, this has included paleo, keto, and veganism. Doing the last two, even watching vitamins and nutrients carefully, made me feel just plain yucky. Following the science, I listened to lots of podcasts like Melanie. I also tried several rounds of Dr. Longo's Prolon. And for the listeners, we just actually mentioned that when we mentioned the fasting mimicking diet. That's what that is. And he's been on our podcast before. All right, back to it. She says, I'm small, Asian, 4'11". Doing the five days of the program, meaning Prolon, there were still too many calories for me to lose more than a pound. I've never been huge. At one point in my late 20s, topping out at 134. I've always fancied my ideal weight to be 108 or so. So, searching for intermittent fasting, I stumbled onto your podcast. Finally, some support. I'd played with going 16 to 18 hours fasting, but got warned about gallstones, lowering my metabolism, etc., Plus, I'm pretty sure I wasn't clean fasting. Since July 9th, I've been following basically a 24 pattern. Rarely, my window may extend to five hours and often shrinks to two or three. Starting at 114, I'm now around that 108 number. That may not sound dramatic, but those pounds have been my longtime nemesis. Now for the freedom part. My husband and I took our first real vacation in years. We were in Rome for five days on a Mediterranean cruise for a week, then in Spain for a week. I was able to follow my IF schedule. The shocking part is that in Rome, I ate pizza every day. I hadn't eaten pizza in more than a decade. And gelato every day. I had never had gelato before. I pretty much ate anything and everything I wanted, which included at least one dessert daily. Yes, we walked a lot. I came home two pounds lighter. So I effing, I crave carbs right now. I'll have a bagel or scone almost daily, and I'm loving frozen yogurt several times a week. I'm thinking I will lose a little more weight and probably fat, the body recomposition you talk about, if I watch my intake more carefully. 
But for now, I'm enjoying eating some of the foods that I've denied myself for decades. Even at the age of 67, I still feel I have time to work on it. Thank you, ladies, for all you do. Your research and dedication are truly inspiring. It's wonderful to be able to eat with joy instead of guilt and trepidation. Delay, don't deny, has become a mantra. I'm not a wine drinker, though. I love you, Melanie. But I do love a glass or two of champagne gin. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Susan. P.S. I've ordered my juve and am eagerly awaiting it. Oh, yay. I love this email so much from Susan. I did too. Makes me so happy. We are so happy for you. I think one of the things that's most motivating is the freedom after 52 years, the title of her email. It just goes to show that it doesn't really matter in a way how long you know you've been in a certain pattern or felt like an eating habit's not serving you, like there's always the potential for freedom. Exactly. I think freedom is just the best word here to describe it because, you know, we have freedom to eat the foods you love again. But here's how it looks for me. I have the freedom to eat the foods I love, but now I've realized some of the foods I love don't serve my body well. And so I actually don't usually eat them. It's like a circle I've come back around to. Like with ice cream. I wanted to eat ice cream the other day because I was super stressed. Like for real. I'm driving down the road. I was like tripped into the house and everything was crashing around me. And I didn't know if we were going to be able to do what we needed to do. And I'm like, I want to go get some ice cream and eat it because my brain will feel soothed. You know, that binge eating, stress eating kind of feeling. And I really wanted to do that. And then I'm like, oh, I don't, I won't feel good if I eat ice cream. So I won't. But I had the freedom. I could have, but I didn't want to. And that's even more freeing. Yeah, I love that. Like I could have, and I didn't even want to, but it would have been okay if I had, but I genuinely, I didn't stop myself because of diet reasons. I stopped myself because of, I won't feel good if I do that. So I won't, and it won't really help. And it felt like, like amazing, like a miracle. Yeah. I keep thinking about, I keep referencing that book, the little book of big change, but it's just so amazing. And she talks about, cause that book came out of her her history of binge eating. And she talks about how, you know, we have these urges for whatever habits we have. So, you know, if it is like the urge for the ice cream, you know, when you're in your stress moment or something, it's really just in an attempt to make that urge go away and escape our, you know, current experience that it's not really, I mean, you want the ice cream, but it's not really about the ice cream. No, it wasn't about the ice cream. It was about how my brain was going to feel if I ate the ice cream. In a way, it's about how your brain's, the way she talks about not going to feel because then the urge will be gone. It's like trying to make that want go away rather than, yeah, it's so fascinating. She's also coming on my new podcast. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, awesome. Awesome. Shall we jump into our questions? Yes. This is from Janice and the subject is kefir and other fermented things. And by the way, that's spelled K-E-F-I-R and I used to think it was kefir. But then I went on a YouTube and watched him pronounce it. And I think it's kefir. But anyway, kefir, kefir, however you say it, tomato, tomato. It's that yogurty liquid that's delicious. But it's like yogurt liquid fermented thing. All right. Hi, Jen and Melanie. I've been one meal a day for nearly a year and am so happy with all the benefits. I'm 65 and a grandmother of four. I do CrossFit and hike frequently and love the energy I have since losing permanently that annoying 20 pounds that I had lost so many times in the past. I feel as if I am at goal, but if I lost a few more pounds, I wouldn't be sad about it. I have recently begun consuming kefir that I make at home to break my fast. Man, it took me about a week, but now I love it, drinking it straight or using it to make a smoothie with fruit and greens. And since one thing leads to another, I'm also fermenting vegetables and drinking kombucha, although I haven't made my own yet. My question is this. Do you have any experience with fermented foods? Have you found them helpful for health or for weight loss? Thank you for your helpful podcasts, Janice. All right, Janice. So this is a great question, fermented foods. So I think it's sort of a complicated topic, but we often associate fermented foods with probiotics, for example. So the first thing I was doing was I went and researched a lot of the different probiotic strains and how it affects things like weight loss to address Janice's question. And it's actually really fascinating because different strains, 
like there are sort of trends about gut bacteria related to weight loss or weight gain, but then there's outliers and there's conflicts. There's really not like one answer to how the gut microbiome reflects when it comes to weight loss or weight gain. And what it seems to be more about, or something that I talked about Dr. Kim Brown on a recent episode of the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast was that I think it's more about the environment in your gut and how that affects the gut microbiome and how it all goes together to affect weight. So things like processed foods and refined sugars and things like that most likely won't create a microbiome that is, you know, weight loss promoting. So coming back to fermented foods, I think that that's even itself a slightly different aspect because I'm very pro fermented foods if they work for you because they're things we've been using as a culture for so long. And I think there's a reason for that. And I do think they can most likely modulate the gut microbiome in a healthy way if there's something that resonates with you. And I don't mean that like in an esoteric way. I mean, like, (laughs) because people, you know, especially from different cultures have historically used different types of fermented foods. So, you know, if you have German ancestry, you might do better with like sauerkraut. If you're Asian, you might do better with something like natto, you know, or miso. If you're like with kefir, I think, I don't know, Jen, where, I don't know what cultures historically. I am not sure about kefir. I would guess that would be somewhere. I'm just guessing I'm in my brain. Let's, we can look it up and see if I'm right. It seems like it would be up in one of those Scandinavian countries. Why does that feel Scandinavian to me? I could look. That's what I thought too. I guess because they have a picture of like, like a like not to be stereotypical, but like a girl with blonde braids and sitting by a cow. All right. It was the Soviet Union. It came from the Soviet Union to the rest of Europe by the early 21st century. So the Soviet Union. So interesting. Yeah. I think when it comes to fermented foods completely feel free to experiment and try things. And if you like the way they taste, I think they can most likely be very beneficial. I have actually heard the ATP project guys, they actually made a comment that the way a lot of fermented foods work in the gut is they serve more as an antibiotic than a probiotic because they're actually, you know, competing with other, you know, strains of bacteria. So they're sort of serving like an antibiotic purpose, which was an interesting way of framing things. I will recommend if you want to make your own fermented foods and you want like the intense, like go-to guide, all of the, if you really want to experiment and do fun, crazy things like fermented sweet potatoes, which I found really delicious, get the art of fermentation. It's a beautiful book. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, similar. And regardless of exactly the mechanism of what what it's doing inside there, we do know that a lot of the cultures, you know, I talk in Feast Without Fear about the Blue Zones and the the centenarians, the people who you know live in these longevity hotspots, and that so many of these people live longer than other parts of the world. And you know, National Geographic wanted to figure out why, so they really studied these cultures and. One of the things that they found that they had in common was fermented foods. And as Melanie said, these have been eaten historically forever. And you may think, oh, it's just a way of preserving the foods. That's how they preserve them. But then there's also the health benefits that come along with them. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the fermented foods. I have the book, The Art of Fermentation. Dr. Cecily Ganhart, she's an intermittent fasting OBGYN. And I had her, her website, I think, is called The Fasting Doctor. I had her on intermittent fasting stories last year or maybe this year. I don't know what year it is. I forgot. But at some point in the past year, she's been on my podcast and she does a lot of fermenting. And then I ordered the book and I was going to start doing it and I never did. But you know, one reason I didn't start doing it, Melanie, is because I didn't have the space. My old kitchen was little and I had just barely enough space to work in. It was like a galley kitchen. Well, my new kitchen has lots of room. And we also have like a little counter area, like kind of a mud room. Maybe it's time once I get back from Portland and all the houses are sold and bought and (laughs) I can take a breath. Maybe it's time to get that book out. I really want to make my own. Did you say a mud room? What is a mud room? You've never heard of a mud room? This is so exciting. It's like you're, I feel like you always have these really crazy little room things in your houses. Well, no, a mud room, a mud room is like a normal thing. You must not watch a lot of HGTV. A mudroom is just a room that comes from the outside. It's like between the garage and the kitchen. It's like a room where you can 
take off your boots and hang up your coat. And it's right there by the laundry room. The laundry room is off of it. So you walk through it to get to the house? Yeah, it's your mudroom. Yeah. Maybe it's more common in areas where they have a lot of snow and they're taking off snowy boots. Maybe that terminology isn't as common here. I don't know. I have watched a lot of HGTV over my life, but (laughs) I have a mudroom and it's got some built-in counters. So that looks like a good place to maybe do some fermenting. People keep asking me if I've done it and I feel like a loser because the answer is no. And I really want to. I went to a fermenting workshop. It was sponsored here in town. It was put on by a holistic kind of doctor and his wife. And oh, wait, no, that was a separate thing. I went to two things. One was a blue zone talk where we ate fermented foods. And then a second thing, I went back to that same place and we had a fermentation workshop and we made our own fermented stuff in a jar. But then I threw it away because I was going out of town and I didn't have time to watch it. And I felt so guilty. There's even things like, oh, I thought of another fermented food. I remember when I was first reading The Art of Fermentation and I saw this section and I was like, that sounds gross. But then I realized it's a really common food. Fermented meats, like salami is actually. Oh, is that fermented? Technically, it's like cured and it's a type of fermentation. So I never really made that association until I read that book. Yeah, it's fascinating just how many things have these natural bacteria on them. And that reminds me of, did you ever watch the series Cooked, Michael Pollan's on Netflix? No, I need to. It's so good. There's like air, fire, water, the earth. I can't remember which one is the fermenting one. Maybe it was air, that makes sense, but I think so. But talks about making the cheeses and how the cheeses have to have their own little bacterial process. And they tried to do it in a more like the government came in and said, this is not sanitary. You need to do it in this special kind of sanitary vat. And then it like ruined the cheese because the cheese needs to have time to do its thing. (laughs) You know, that's part of the process that we want. That's so funny. Reminds me of the super intense insanity surrounding raw milk in the U.S. and like legality and arresting people because of raw milk practices. Yeah, that is a very similar thing. But really, you know, I think if we're eating traditional foods, we're not going to go wrong. Traditional foods prepared in traditional ways. Oh, I even get there's a brand of pickles called Bubby's. If you've seen Bubbies, I love them. I buy those. They're actually fermented pickles because, you know, there's two ways of making pickles that you find in the store. There's the ones that are like vinegar to preserve them. And then there's ones like Bubbies that are actually fermented for preservation. At least that's the way I understand it. But they're, you know, they're a probiotic pickle from what I've been told. And I'd love to eat those. I have some in my refrigerator right now. Yeah, I will say if you want to buy fermented foods already made, if you go to Whole Foods, They usually have a really great fermented food section and Bubby's is nice. I do know they are slightly pasteurized, but you can get a lot of completely non-pasteurized raw fermented foods at Whole Foods. So, Well, I don't have a Whole Foods, so I cannot. Oh my gosh. I forgot about this conversation, Jen. Yeah. We had one and it closed and it all is because you remember when Amazon bought it? Yes. Well, right before that, maybe a couple years before, a year, I don't know when, Augusta opened a big Whole Foods. It was in a location that was hard to get to as far as like, we're, we don't like to turn if it's tricky. We're like, yeah, we're not going to go to that store ever because you have to get in this turning lane. We'll just go over here because it's easier. Sorry, that's what Augusta is like. <laughs> I'm sure other towns are like that too. If you're on the wrong side of the street, it's the kiss of death. Anyway, it was hard to get in and out of that shopping center. So a lot of people wouldn't go. And also Augusta doesn't like to pay for things. There's another problem. Sorry, Augusta. I love you. I love living in Augusta, but... Anyway, we couldn't support the Whole Foods. So they closed down like 10 Whole Foods nationwide, whatever their 10 worst performing Whole Foods were. And one of them was Augusta. And so this is why we can't have nice things in Augusta because we can't support them. It's too hard to turn left. I was really sad. I was so sad when that store closed. You just made a Taylor Swift reference. Oh, what did I say? She has a song called This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. Oh, because you break them. Well, I mean, I've heard that forever, but... Yeah, I know it's a phrase, but... Before Taylor Swift, I've never listened to Taylor Swift ever one time. Oh, I know we've had this conversation, but... Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. What? Because I keep saying we've had this conversation. I was listening to the Well-Fed Woman podcast with Noel Tarr and Stephanie Ruper. 
you know, Stephanie Rupert is the one who wrote that fasting post like forever ago. That is really so funny. Is it still available? You know, that's a good question because I know she recently completely rebranded her website and she even admits herself that she kind of wrote it to be slightly sensational. I mean, it's all true science that she says in it. Here's what's really funny though. You know, that was shared every 10 minutes in fasting groups for the first like forever, like 2015, 2016. People were sharing that all the time. I have not seen that blog post in over a year, so I bet it's gone. You know, I, I'll have to check. It might be gone. I haven't even seen it. It would be shared because people share it all the time. They're like, oh my God, I just read this. Oh, can we talk? I, I can finish that that thought, but can we talk for a second? What are your thoughts on the Google change? Well, I don't know what you mean. I'm in a cave. I don't I don't know what's what's changed on Google. They've completely reformulated their algorithm for health related stuff. It's a telling sign of how our country is moving. Meaning if you Google anything that's related to health, basically, it used to be that you would get the searches that were related to it. So like if you've Googled paleo, you would get like Rob Wolf's site. You would get the stuff that's talking about it, actually. Now you get the like main websites that are, I don't want to say run by the government, but you get what the government wants you to see for everything. Are they trying to send you to the official sources? Yeah. So like fermented foods, let's Google fermented foods. Hold on. So we're going to get Healthline, like whatever you Google, you're going to get Healthline as the, the top thing. You're going to get medical news today. I mean, you do get Harvard and Wikipedia, but like in the past, you would get my Google Paleo. So like Paleo, you get Healthline, Mayo Clinic, WebMD, Everyday Health. In the past, you would get like Rob Wolf's site. You would get people actually talking about it. So just now when you Googled Paleo, you did not get Rob, Rob Wolf's site. Okay. He used to be, he would be the first thing really that you would get. Now let's see. Okay, he's on the second page. Apparently, a lot of the website people are sort of upset because like, especially with audiences and stuff, it's really, really affecting like audiences in the website and access to information. So now I would recommend for listeners, if you want to research a certain topic, write it in and then write in the name of somebody you respect to get their opinion on it. So like if you wanted Rob Wolf, you know, you'd Google like fermented foods, Rob Wolf, or like if you wanted like to research probiotics and you want to get like Chris Kresser's perspective or Chris Masterjohn or somebody that you respect, add that into the search because otherwise you're going to get, you're going to get the government. Well, that's interesting. I missed that. But I'm just, like I said, I've been in my cave of writing my book, editing my book, <laughs> doing all these podcasts and trying to move and sell a house and buy a house. And, and not to mention that I spend eight hours a day moderating in Facebook support groups. So unless they're talking about it on delay, don't deny intermittent fasting support, which they are not, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I do know about the wildfires in California, which is awful. But the only reason I know it is because people are talking about it in the Facebook support groups. So shout out all of you in California. It is just terrible what's happening out there. Yeah, I only know about anything because if they talk about it on a podcast, otherwise I don't. The reason we got into this tangent rabbit hole was I was listening to Well-Fed Woman the other day. Stephanie made a comment that because they've been having their podcast for, I think, like four years, maybe. Back when it used to be called Paleo Women. Yeah, and because they were talking about like how many changes they'd experienced in their life, Stephanie made the comment that the only one consistent thing she'd had for four years was them talking each week. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we've had so many changes in our life. And the only consistent <laughs> thing has probably been us talking each week. Isn't that weird to think about? Well, that's true. Yeah. Since 2017, the only thing that's been consistent is us talking every week. That's true. Crazy. In a good way. Crazy in a good way. Right. So the next question comes from Lorraine and the subject is keto slash paleo. And Lorraine says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I've been doing IF for four months, most of the time at 18.6, but stretch it out some days to a 24. Weight loss is slow. I've lost four kilograms and now wanting to lose another five kilograms to get to my goal weight of 62 kilograms. I'm five feet four. I'm listening to podcasts on keto and paleo. Both these diets are low carb, and I'm wondering if you can combine them for weight loss. I love cheese and cream, which I can have on keto, but I miss my fruit and sweet treats, which are allowed on paleo. 
I'm loving your podcast, ladies. Keep them coming. All right, Jen, what are your thoughts on this? Lorraine, I'd like for you to develop a new diet called the Lorraineo. Do you see what I did there, Melanie? Instead of keto or paleo, it's Lorraineo. I do. For Lorraine. Because Lorraine, you don't have to follow keto to get into ketosis because you're doing intermittent fasting. And you don't have to eat like a paleo man because you're Lorraine and you live in the year 2019. And we can eat cheese and cream if we want to. (laughs) So you make yourself a plan. See, those are all great foods. Cheese, cream, fruit. Those are whole foods from nature that people have eaten. And so if you want to eat high quality foods that you would have on keto and high quality foods that you would have on paleo, develop the Lorraineo plan and you eat those foods. Now, are you going to remain in ketosis 24-7 like you might on the keto diet? No, but that's not our goal with intermittent fasting. Our goal is that we become metabolically flexible. We are able to dip into ketosis as necessary during the fasted state. Then we eat and we are in the fed state. We don't need ketones because now we have fuel from the food that we just ate and our brains can get glucose from that. So, you know, it, it depends on how you want to live your life. And now if you find that the foods that keto asks you to eat, you know, work well for you, but the foods that paleo, that, you know, if the dairy doesn't work well for you, I mean, that's what you have to figure out. I just said it backwards, but you know what I mean? You Well, you have to figure out how your body responds to these foods. And that is the only thing that you have to worry about. Develop the Lorraineo. I'm just going to say that again. Yeah. I think people get so wrapped up in keto, paleo, like all these labels when it's what Jen just said, you have to find what works for you. And I mean, some of the foods you mentioned, Lorraine, are no pun intended because one of them is sweet, but sticky subjects. So like cheese and dairy, some people might go on a quote keto diet, super full of cheese and dairy and lose tons of weight and find it sustainable and be great. Some people might find they can't lose weight with cheese and dairy. And that doesn't make cheese and dairy wrong or bad. It just means that works for one person doesn't work for another. Same with fruit. I haven't been eating much fruit, Jen. I'm going to get back to fruit. That's like my current goal. to like get back to my fruit eating self, even though it's winter approaching and fruit is typically associated with the summer. But in any case, same with fruit. Some people find that they have fruit and they can't lose weight with fruit. Other people thrive on fruit and that's how they reach their ideal composition. We have a guy who's like fruititarian in the in the Facebook group. I sort of want to be fruititarian, not even kidding. I don't, but I don't like, I like fruit okay. I don't like it that much, but he's a fruititarian. He feels awesome. I'm really fascinated It does seem like from a healing health perspective, as well as a weight loss perspective, that the extremes, as far as macronutrients go, often do seem to come into play. So like, it seems like people can radically lose weight or make massive health changes, maybe, you know, just temporarily, but going on like fruititarian. So it's like super low fat, high carb fruit or going like super low carb ketogenic. But then for a lot of people, like if it's in the middle, like doesn't necessarily, I mean, but for some people it does work, but I don't know. It's interesting how those extremes tend to often, you know, shock the body. And I say shock also, you know, support because we know the healing benefits of ketosis, but then we also know the healing benefits of, there seem to be like, you know, like Garrison theory and stuff with the Garrison diet and stuff with like a high fruit diet. But actually, so today's episode, and I'll put a link to in the show notes, like I mentioned with Dr. Daniel Pompa, of the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. I've got to come up with a way, Jen, to say that faster. Is there, that's so much, such a mouthful. It's actually a lot about switching up your diet and the metabolic benefits of that and how changing up your diet can actually be the thing often that you need to, you know, break a plateau or experience a change in weight loss or something. So super duper fascinating. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think it'll be really motivating for people who feel like they have to stay keto or they have to stay this. I think they'll be really motivated by that. Yeah. The only rules I want for the rest of my life are the rules that I can choose to eat what I want based on how I want to feel that day. That's my rule. Even like the ice cream I talked about earlier, I could have chosen to have that ice cream and maybe I would have had restless legs and not been able to sleep well. But you know, my rule is I want to feel good. But sometimes I'm still going to eat something, even if I don't feel great, just because I want to eat that thing. No more rules. I love it. All right. We have a question from Michelle, and the subject is Ayurveda. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that weird. It's very possible. Hi, ladies. I enjoy listening to your podcast and have begun adding IF to my life in hopes of healing my gut. 
I feel I'm always trying something new or avoiding some food group in the hopes of healing my gut. And the idea of giving your gut a break makes sense. And I think it is helping. I was curious your thoughts on Aravita and diet. And I think I said it differently. So y'all just bear with me. So thanks, Michelle. And now Melanie is going to tell you all about that thing that I can't pronounce. Oh, super random. I just pulled up my notes for Ayurveda and I had the other thing I wanted to talk about on the podcast. Jen, do you know who who came up with the idea of BMI? Yes. Hold on. I actually have just read about that this week. It was the government measuring populations, right? It was Ansel Keys. Yeah, 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 yeah. With his whole like study that he was doing of populations and it was how they were measuring populations, right? I guess so. I just didn't realize it was Ansel Keys. It was for the purpose of measuring the population, but it wasn't supposed to be an individual measure ever. That was never the point of it. So misunderstood. Anyways, so Ayurveda, people get it confused often with traditional Chinese medicine because it kind of overlaps. Like they have similar ideas, but they basically look at the body as like a whole constitution rather than, you know, treating symptoms or things like that. So in Ayurveda, it's like the five elements that they look at. So it's ether, air, fire, water, and earth. And then there's also three forces. So that's kapha, pitta, and vada. I'm probably saying those wrong, but they're also known as the three doshas. And then those are composed of one or two elements. So it's, it's I don't know, it's similar to what we talked about before, traditional Chinese medicine, where you're looking at like how the body functions as a whole and the, the, the nature of energy and, you know, how things affect that. And there's the concept of excesses of things and deficiencies and how that relates to energy in the body and health and disease and stuff. So I think it's really great. I think any sort of approach that is been around for years and years and does look at the body comprehensively, like Chinese traditional medicine, like Ayurveda, I think they definitely have their place and purpose. A lot of acupuncturists will often be trained in either TCM or Ayurveda. So I think if it resonates with you, and I don't see anything wrong with it, I think it, I think it's a great thing to, especially if you're experiencing some sort of feeling of imbalance, something that you could definitely you know look more into and maybe find a practitioner who is skilled in it. So I think it's really great. And I actually do have... It's not Ayurveda, but I do have a, for traditional Chinese medicine soon. Actually, when this airs, it might be out, but I'm releasing the Live in the Balance audiobook. So like I said, that's traditional Chinese medicine, not Ayurveda. But yeah, I think it's great. And I do think um, because it does address the body as a whole, it can often address things like inflammation or food intolerances, which may be a source of inflammation for a lot of people. So I think that can often materializes like weight gain when it's really inflammation. So I think addressing things like that can be really important. The only thing historically that I found doesn't work so well with me is Ayurveda from a diet perspective. I think it, and this might be incorrect, and I'm sure we're going to get a listener email telling me that I'm incorrect in saying this, but I do feel like in general, they often have like a very grain-based approach, which I don't think personally works for my body that well, but that's it. That's not like the whole nature of it. And I'm totally in support. So Jim, what are your thoughts? I don't know a lot about it. I've seen it pop up here and there in the the Facebook groups. Someone will talk about, I'm fascinated by it, but I've done some reading about it, but I don't know enough to have an opinion about it either direction, which may be a cop out, but I just really don't. I'm always fascinated by anything traditional that people have done, you know, for thousands of years in their culture and think that there's a lot to be said for these traditional things, you know, like when cultures ate the, this is not our Vita, but when cultures ate the thyroid of the deer, it helped them and they didn't even know why they were, but those types of things, traditional things like with fermenting that we were just talking about, you know, these traditional beliefs and practices are so often based on things that work, we may not even know why. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm very open to the idea. I'm not pro or con, but I'm open to all things traditional. Yep. Same page. All right. So the next question comes from Sherry. The subject is arthritis. And Sherry says, I absolutely adore all of your podcasts. I can't wait for Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday each week. 
Yay. So this must be a recent question because I was like, she's referencing all of our podcasts. Wait, but what is Tuesday? Although ours comes out on Monday, so. Monday. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out. Maybe she just can't hear it till Tuesday. She waits till Tuesday and listens on Tuesday. When does yours come out, Jen? Thursday. Thursday. Okay. And mine's my other one's on Friday. Okay. She says, I've been doing intermittent fasting since January 1st. My clothes are looser and people have noticed I lost weight. I do not weigh, so I really have no idea if I did and how much. Now for the question. My mother has arthritis and has had her knees and hips replaced. Does intermittent fasting help with reducing pain? Also, I think Melanie was going to introduce her mother to the juve. Did her mother use the juve and what was the results? Does the juve help with arthritis pain? Thank you in advance. Intermittent faster for life. All right. So intermittent fasting for arthritis. Jen, have you seen anything about this in your groups? Absolutely. And, you know, it makes sense because we know that intermittent fasting is great for being anti-inflammatory. And we know that when you can reduce levels of inflammation, it can help with with pain of things such as arthritis. So we have seen a lot of people who have had absolute relief from pain when they do intermittent fasting. And if they, for example, they'll go on vacation and they'll eat differently And then they'll notice, oh, the pain comes back when I eat that way. And then they come into the groups and they talk about, you know, this just cements that intermittent fasting is a lifestyle for them. Forget about the weight loss benefits that it's making them feel better and live pain free. You know, is it going to 100% knock out all, you know, arthritic pain? We're not going to promise that. But we have seen so many people have relief that it's definitely worth a try. It's not going to make the pain worse. So maybe it won't help the arthritis as much as you hope. Maybe it will. But even if it doesn't, maybe it'll have a benefit you weren't expecting. As far as the juve, I'm really curious, Melanie, as to whether your mother tried the juve. I will say that when my cat had her broken leg and her broken tail and was, you know, we put Ellie right there by the juve and she laid there and it was almost like she knew it was good for her. She won't lay there now. She like runs away. But when she was injured, she laid there by the juve, which was just fascinating because, you know, animals have such a great instinct for stuff like that. You know, I had some knee pain. It wasn't arthritis, but it was from twisting it from moving. And and I think the juve did help it heal faster. I stood right there and put it in the light. Yeah, I think actually one of the most clinically studied things about red light near infrared therapy has been its reduction in chronic pain situations. Like one of the studies I read, they actually found that it relieved pain specifically in patients with arthritis by 70%. Yeah, it's definitely been shown for that. As far as my mom, I gave her the devices and tried to get her to use them and she's just not. She's. I need to like go, maybe if I go over every day and like be like, I'll come over if we sit in front of the juke together. Yeah, so for, for Sherry's question, I definitely think anything which is reducing inflammation and supporting healing in the body will most likely help with things like pain and arthritis. So I think intermittent fasting can be great for that. And like I just said, yes, the juve definitely can help with arthritis and the associated pain and 100%, not even a question. I'll put a link in the show notes to, I did a really thorough analysis and post about red light therapy specifically in regards to things like this. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but yeah. Isn't it funny how our moms won't do anything that we say to do? I know. I even like, because one of my recent episodes on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast was with Brendan Lundberg and it was all about chronic pain. It was such a fascinating conversation because we talked about how oftentimes chronic pain is not that it's not real, but it's the brain interpreting signals that may or may not actually be related to quote pain. So for example, like, well, like phantom limb, right? Like the leg hurts and it's not even there because the brain's interpreting it. Yeah. They'll take people who have the exact same injury and like half will have pain from it and half don't. And it's like, why is that? It seems to go back to basically that once the brain decides that the certain signal is a pain signal, it starts A, interpreting it as pain regardless of if there is an injury there and B, it starts anticipating that. So it starts just in a way generating chronic pain. So fascinating because the way his therapy works is, I mean, in, in theory, you could retrain your brain to not experience those signals as pain. I mean, you could do that like through limbic system retrainment or, you know, like you know, doing mental exercises, but you know, it takes a long time and you have to be consistent and 
you know, it's like a whole program and it's you trying to consciously rewire your brain, but his therapy actually uses electrical devices that literally scramble the pain message that's going to the brain. And by constantly scrambling it, the brain keeps trying to read that signal. So that scrambling is important because the brain doesn't decide, oh, like it's not like it just like changes the signal because then the brain would just decide that the new signal is pain. So like that wouldn't fix it. It basically makes that signal be constantly changed. So then the brain can't figure out anymore what it is. And then it overwrites that circuitry that associates with chronic pain. Their success rate is like over 80% or something. It's fascinating. I loved that conversation. So it really made me reevaluate my perception of like the world. Even I know it was about chronic pain, but I actually recommend like, honestly, anybody to listen to it because it it just makes you realize like, Oh, reality is not necessarily, you know, it's all about how we're interpreting signals and our experience. And it's just really, really fascinating. Yeah, it really is. The more you learn about the body, the more you study science, I mean, you you just realize there's so much we don't know. You know, my husband is a scientist. He's a medicinal chemist, PhD in organic chemistry. And you have a questioning brain when you're a scientist because you realize how many things we're still discovering all the time. And the body is like that. You know, when we think we we know everything, we realize, oh, we don't. Yeah, so true. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go, if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at iofpodcast.com or you can go to iofpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Show notes for today's episode will be at iofpodcast.com slash episode 135. I'll put links there to all of the things we talked about and you can follow us on Instagram. We are the I of podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. We are the I of pod. We are a Himalaya partnered show by the way. And if you follow us in the Himalaya app, you will get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. Oh, I did want to talk, say really quickly. So I love the Himalaya app. I'm like obsessed with it. <laughs> That's a true statement. It's funny. We've recently been expanding our production team for the podcast. And so I've been talking to people about working with us and <laughs> I often get the question about, am I being real with everything I'm saying? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like I do. I love Himalaya and I do. I love all of our supporters and the, the products. Oh, it's true. Here's an example of, of how much we love Himalaya. I'm more skeptical than Melanie. Maybe is that a good way of putting it? I don't know. Maybe it's cause I'm 50, but we partnered up with Himalaya, but you know, I have another podcast. I did not partner up with Himalaya because I sat back. I wanted to see how it went. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to sign with Himalaya until I'm 100% sure that I love Himalaya. And guess what? I just signed with Himalaya for my second podcast. And it's going to be a Himalaya podcast because I sat back and waited and watched and said, yep, they're awesome. The thing I wanted to say about them was they're my favorite app for, for listening to podcasts. And it's amazing. But I do know it can be a little intimidating if you switch over because at the very beginning, it can be kind of like information overwhelm, like, how do I navigate this app and how do I create playlists and how do I, but I'm just, I want to encourage people to like stick with it because once you get the muscle memory for like the way it's set up, you'll definitely never, never look back. So definitely, definitely download that app and follow us in there. It'll change your podcast listening habits for life. So yep. Yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and, and slight teaser. Our next episode will not just be Jen and I. Ooh, yay. It's going to have some other people. So uh, we probably won't talk about my house. Y'all will have to wonder for two episodes. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? We start talking about the house for like 15 minutes and, the, and they'll be like, um. No, I won't. We won't mention it with guests. But yeah, you'll have to wonder, did Jen sell our house? Tune in in two weeks. It'll be like those. I don't know if you, when you were growing up, if they even had TV shows that were like to be continued. Did they have any of the shows you ever watched say to be continued? It was huge in the 70s and the 80s. Shows were always to be continued. I remember whenever there was like a two-part episode, it was so exciting. You'd be getting towards the end and you they hadn't wrapped it up and you're like, oh my God, it's not going to end. I'm going to have to wait another week. You like knew it was going to be to be continued. And you started to panic, you know? Well, I remember I used to watch Wishbone and... Oh, wait. So you're probably really familiar with Wishbone because you were a teacher, right? I remember that. Yeah. Wishbone is the best TV show ever made. It's the dog, right? He's a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was before I had children. So Wishbone came out when I was an early elementary teacher, but it was like, it was the 
early 90s, right? Wishbone was hands down, like I think I can confidently say, perhaps one of the most genius, amazing TV series for children of all time. He was a dog. Yeah. Oh, Wishbone. He like went on, what's the story? Wishbone. It was always like he read a he was reading a book. He lived with Joe and Sam and there was like another friend. Yeah. So there was always like a real life situation that was happening. And then Wishbone would be like, hmm, this reminds me of a book I read. And then it would be like, Wishbone would be like the character in the book. And you, Jen, you learned so much about all of these stories. Like I, I literally can tell you like this, the plot of like pretty much any book just because I watched it on Wishbone. Try me. Yeah. I I just looked it up. It was 95 to 97. And I had my first child in 98. And so they missed Wishbone. Wait, hit hit me with, hit me with like a classical literature thing. Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Yeah. If I hadn't read Wishbone, I wouldn't know that Don Quixote was where this guy was trying to chase windmills. Like I wouldn't know that. Hit me with another. (laughs) Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Like I know all about them and like Uncle Joe or what's his name? Injun Joe and like all of their, like literally, you know, the plot of all these things because of Wishbone. Like they had Phantom of the Opera. Well, see, I should have watched that because I would have known that Phantom of the Opera had a bad ending and I wouldn't have been surprised. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, it's actually the, yeah, it's not the musical Phantom of the Opera. It's like the book, like Journey to the Center of the Earth, like literally everything. I probably know from Wishbone. So that was a tangent. Oh, but they had to cancel it because I think the production that they put so much money into it, like, because it was epic, like the costumes. Oh, but they would have part two episodes. And every now and then that was really exciting. It was like, ah, oh. well, we'll have a part two in two weeks. Be continued. Stay tuned. You will find out. Does Jen own one house or two? And I'm going to just say, I, I'm pretty sure the answer will be one or I'll be crying on the podcast because I'll be really sad. Oh. <sighs> Anyway, it's going to work out. It will. Yeah. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Talk to you then. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.